Hi, I'm Nisha Singh, and this is What Makes Us Stronger, a series of stories about people's resilience at times of crisis. Women make up almost half of all farm workers in developing countries, but fewer than 15% of them own the land they work on. Why? Well, even in countries where, by law, women are entitled to own land, their families or the local community will often prevent them from doing so. For example, land passes straight from father to son, or husbands will automatically take control of their wife's inheritance. In some places, like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, this has been going on for so long that many women have no idea that they are legally able to buy or inherit a piece of land at all. In the DRC, and in the face of often widespread resistance, a group of women are pushing back against a system that restricts them. They're proving that even at a time of rising poverty and food insecurity, when women exercise their right to own land, it can make a big difference, not just for them, but for their families and for their communities too. I'm joined now by two women who have been leading a project in the DRC called Rising Up, which aims to support women who want to own a piece of land. They're my friends and colleagues, Rochelle Boquetta, who's the country director of Women for Women International in the DRC, and Sabrina Ali Khan, our director of monitoring, evaluation, research, and learning. Welcome, Sabrina and Rochelle. Thank you so much for joining this conversation today. Thanks for having us. So, Rochelle, obviously we want to know more about women's lands rights in the DRC, but to zoom out for a second, I'm wondering if you can give me some examples of the kinds of barriers and challenges that women face on a day-to-day basis in the communities we serve in South Kivu in the DRC. So women in the DRC lack access to basic social needs like health, education, So to give you an example, focusing on South Kivu and particularly in rural area where there is, you know, acute poverty, families tend to choose boys to go to school over girls. So as a result, girls are not educated or maybe less educated. And then compound by that, it's the epidemics like the recent coronavirus or the conflict that has been ongoing for many decades now, that exacerbates the situation which was already bad for women and girls. And as a consequence, it's gender-based violence, not only from conflict, but also from those inequalities that I've just mentioned. When a man dies, the family of the man, they come, they take everything, Sometimes even the house they were living in, and then they throw the woman on the street with the kids. So having land properties in the name of the women, it keeps them, and then it even prevents children from suffering whenever the father is not there. So, Rochelle, can you tell me a bit about what the women that we serve in these communities are learning in the classroom about their right to own land? Ah! 
I mean, it's an eye-opener because those women we serve, they are not educated, so they know nothing about their rights. They couldn't imagine that such things could exist. But that's the beauty of having people like my colleagues coming from the urban Bukavu, even myself coming from the capital city, from Kinshasa, to act as role models, say, hey, it can change. I own properties, I own land, and I'm a woman, you know, so that they can see with concrete eyes. And this project was specifically to increase women's land rights and to prevent gender-based violence in the DRC. Can you walk us through the process a bit and describe what the project involved? Yeah, so the project really had one key theme, which was it takes a whole community to make this kind of change happen. And so our project had multiple prongs of work. So we had activities around awareness raising in the broader community. We trained women whom we had worked with before and were very engaged in solving these issues. We trained these women to be grassroots advocates for women's land rights. And so we call them the change agents and they were instrumental to the project. We engaged men and that was a huge component of the project's success in the end. We engage men to then share information through the community and sensitize others from their perspective. We involved many different influential males, village chiefs, who could also be influential in spreading awareness of the laws and especially what constitutes violence against women and the importance of women's land rights. Both you and Rochelle have touched a little bit about the link between land rights to gender-based violence. And I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about the relationship between the two and, you know, how we should think about land rights in relation to gender-based violence. Yeah. Normally, when you hear the term gender-based violence or just violence in general, we tend to think first of physical violence or sexual violence, which is of course, very prominent in the places where we work and especially in these communities in DRC. But another form of violence that we really wanted to use this work to shine a light on is economic violence. That is, when we refer to circumstance in which women are intentionally held back from accessing certain financial resources or someone who holds power over financial resources withholds them intentionally from women, that is a form of economic violence and abuse. It's a way to control women, a way to manipulate or abuse them, a way to shut them out of economic and social life. And so part of our work, and we'll get more into this later, was how can we sensitize women as to what constitutes violence against women, including all the different forms, um, but very importantly, economic violence, and also sensitizing men. Engaging men is important because we want to have them as allies to promote women's rights and then to understand, because I can give you a story. A man, I ask him, why can't you give just a land for your wife? She's the one doing farming activity, but she can own it. And then he said to me, you know, since my ancestors, since the first one, it's never been done. So I'm not going to be the first to start. 
Can you share any examples of how the Rising Up project and ultimately the outcome of greater access to land rights have affected the lives of the women in the communities where you work? And, you know, what are some of the difficulties that they face and how did this focus on access to land rights support them? Let me give you a concrete example of one woman who also was part of our program. Her name is Angelique. My name is Angelique Nabintumwanampopo. I live in Nyangesi. Before she joined our program, she used to work in other people's farm. And then she was making something like 2,000 Congolese francs, which is equivalent to $1 today. And then it was not guaranteed that she could have that job every day. And then she is married to a man and then they have nine kids of which five boys. So one day a sad event happened. The man broke his leg in a construction site where he was working. And she became the sole breadwinner for the family because the man could no longer work in the construction site as he used to do. Women for Women International opened my mind and I learned to be self-sufficient economically because I did not know how to be economically independent. The couples dialogue session was organized where they invited the participants' husbands to discuss different topics. Land heritage was one of the principal topics discussed. Since in the past it was not easy for a woman to acquire, buy, or inherit land, but after the session, some men who attended started to change their mindset regarding the issue, and my husband was among them. After the session, the discussion continued at home. My husband even asked whether giving women the right to acquire land may not lead to women divorcing their husbands. I told him no. The aim of the session was to change the community's mentality about land ownership. When I received my title, I was so happy that I could jump up and down and it was in a public ceremony. So Angelique's husband was able to give her a plot of land and then now, you know, she plays the boss lady because she has other people working for her. She makes more income and then she's able to sustain her family, paying school fees, you know, getting her kids educated. And now she's expanding the sensitization to entire community, fighting gender-based violence, promoting women's access to land, women's rights, etc. I plan to use my land for family purposes because life is too short and children can build or use it for agricultural purposes. That land will be as family property for both my daughters and sons. It is my dream to see that I am growing with my family because I would love my daughter to be married tomorrow like the way I was married to her father and he gave me land.
Yeah, we've actually been able to enable many, many boss ladies through this project. <laughs> so during the life of the project, we have successfully overseen 145 land titles actually provided to women and another maybe nearly 300 that were pending somewhere in the process. And um, I would also add one story that I like that shows how unexpectedly quickly change can happen with this type of project relates back to the men that I referred to earlier. So those 20 or so male leaders that we engaged with in the very beginning, whom we had given information to and we said, please spread this message. Uh, we know that you agree with the message. Please now spread it to other men. Somewhere around halfway through the project, we learned that each of those men had actually themselves granted land to their wives as a result of being engaged in the project and understanding not just conceptually, but tactically how women's land rights could actually impact them and their households. Um, and so that is not something we explicitly asked them to do or expected them to take that kind of action. It would have been welcome, of course, but it wasn't something we asked them to do. And yet so quickly they took that action and we have reflected on how powerful a demonstration of that can be to other men, especially those who might be resistant at first, that these are not just influential men who are spreading a message they don't believe in. These are men who actually took it upon themselves to take that action themselves because they believe the message and promoting it themselves through their communities. So that was a particular success, one that we didn't anticipate, but um, a really powerful demonstration of how important the role model effect can be and how quickly we can affect change through all these different types of activities. Allyship in action. We love to see it. And I know you're talking a bit about how quickly, you know, this change can happen. But I'm also curious, the other question that you and I and everyone who works on this sort of thing is asked is about the long-term sustainability of some of these outcomes. What did you see? Like, how confident do you feel that these are changes that are going to stick? Yeah, I would start by saying a key objective of the project was not just making sure that women could get the land, but that they could securely hold on to it in the future. And that means protecting her from future disputes that there may be over the land, or something that could be common in these communities is someone just shows up and says, oh, this land belongs to me. And if a woman doesn't know that she has the right to that land, or she doesn't know how to prove that it could belong to her or her family, she could easily lose access to that. And so a lot of the information that we passed along through this project was oriented towards okay, once you have that land, these are the ways that you can provide evidence in the future that it belongs to you and that you can maintain your security of tenure over this land. And a big part of it goes back to the community awareness as well. The more people in the community who are aware of women's right to own land, theoretically, the fewer pathways to dispute or try to take that land away from women somehow the fewer those pathways exist. And so we know that land ownership, not just in the current moment for women to be able to generate income 
from agricultural activities today. But that ownership of that land allows her to cultivate that land for the rest of her life. It pays dividends for the rest of her life, for her family. It can be inherited by her children, and it creates this ripple effect, not just in her generation, but for generations to continue. Sabrine, what happens when women on land? What are the longer-term benefits for them, their families, and their communities? Yeah, so there are many documented linkages between women owning land and their households and families overall just being healthier, more successful, more educated. And we can understand this logically because women have the ability to make decisions over that land. Uh, It gives them greater bargaining power. It also lets them generate that income that they are then going to invest right back into their households and their families. And so it sets off a cascading chain of effects that are not just beneficial for her and her own poverty alleviation, but that of her children, her children's children, and everyone else who can live off of the land thereafter. And so women's land ownership is associated with many, many positive effects for women. So Sabrine, Rochelle, obviously you both are some of my favorite boss ladies and women who make noise in communities everywhere. And you work hard to support women in South Kivu and in conflict-affected communities everywhere to realize their strength and their inherent power. So I'd love to know what makes you stronger. Making other women stronger makes me stronger. Because, you know, in everything we do, I also look at the legacy. You know, the result is not me saying, okay, I have trained 500 women and so what? But if I can say, okay, you know, not only I trained 500 women, but those women have changed their lives. Now they earn more income. They know of things they didn't know before. Then I am stronger because alone I can't do anything. So to make a difference, we need to have more women who make a lot of noise and then change policy. You know, we might be stronger advocates if there's a large number of women instead of me going there, say, okay, I'm the country director. This is how it should be. If I have those women at grassroots level, also understanding what it takes, you know, to be a woman, and then they know the right, they demand for it. And then we make a coalition that we go to advocate that might change things. So what makes me stronger is making them stronger. Okay, so Rochelle, Feminist Army makes you stronger. Sabrine? Can I be one of those women? Rochelle has made me stronger. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, if I think about the bravery of the women who served as change agents in this project, that is a true source of inspiration for me. You know, these are women who, as Rochelle said, have very low levels of education, They have had so many setbacks in life. Um, They've been through things that I can't imagine. And yet they're the ones going out into their communities and making all this noise that wasn't always met with positivity. We heard reports of, you know, they would go into communities and people would say, what message are you spreading? This is against our culture. Or this is so strange. What are you talking about? And some harassment that they would face just by promoting a message 
of equality, of the fact that women have rights and are deserving of those rights. And still those women were so successful in their work and they stood up to those to those messages and that negativity. And in the end, so much of the communities supported those women and supported the women to access the land and be secure in that land ownership. And so I think about what it takes for a woman like that to stand up to people who actively tell her that she's wrong and say, no, there can be a new normal. We don't have to keep with the same stereotypes and the same norms that we've had. We can choose a different path. And so I find that very inspirational personally. And I try to channel that bravery when I can. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your experience, your expertise, and this critical evidence. I hope we can all use it to be better advocates for women's rights and gender equality tomorrow and onward. Thank you so much again for joining me today. Thank you, Nisha. Thank you. You can find out more about the kind of stories you've heard today and how you can get involved by following at Women for Women on Instagram or Twitter. And if you have any questions about the Rising Up project and want to learn more, reach out and tell us at media at womenforwomen.org. See you next time. Written and produced by Emma Crampton and Zoe Gallagher, What Makes Us Stronger is a Fresh Air production. The artwork for this series was designed by Nuno Studios.